they approached our supply chain team without discussing with us to ask wow. volumes um, and ask for a commitment on volumes before we had agreed anything. Wow. We very quickly made it very clear that, you know, that... <laughs> and In a very happen. polite way. <laughs> it just can't happen like that. My name's Mike Lander, and you're listening to Marketing Negotiations, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in partnership with The Drum, where we bring you negotiation insights from CMOs, agency leaders, and acclaimed authors. Katie, uh, thank you ever so much for joining us on The Drum's Marketing Negotiations podcast. Uh, Real pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Katie, who are you? (laughs) Explain to our audience. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) The big question of the day. Um, I am uh, Chief Marketing Officer for Burger King UK. Um, I joined BK in 2018. um, And essentially, I lead the marketing marketing function, the marketing strategy. um, And that includes everything from our product offer and customer proposition um, our brand and comms plan and strategy and, and anything to do with our digital growth strategy. So across delivery, you know, our app, our loyalty. Um, yeah. So all aspects of marketing. All aspects of marketing, yes. Online, offline, everything. Yeah, anything that effectively touches our, um, our customers. So any channel or format um, fits within my team. And I have a very, very capable team. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have. What's your background? Where did you come from? I um, I started my career at Dunhumby. Um, I did the grad program. Great place um, to start. Which I loved. I'm still very much... In, I was only there for two and a half years, but um, it felt like a lifetime um, and not in a bad way. In a, I guess as a first, um, you know, it was effectively my first job um, and I, I made lots and lots of um, friendships and many of those people I'm still in contact with. Um, but yeah, I, I worked in the client team, um, sharing consumer insights with FMCG brands. I had the, the small, uh, the small brands or the small FMCG brands, many of whom are now huge brands like Innocent. And, um, I worked with Weetabix and Warburton's, um, and it was effectively using insights to help inform their customer marketing strategies. And yeah, I, I absolutely loved it, but I think I, very quickly realized when I was presenting insights to brand teams um, that I, I, I kind of wanted to be involved in what happened next. I wanted to, you know, take the insight, you know, help create, yeah, turn it into action. And, and um, yeah, so I decided I would, I would try and move and pivot into, um, into a brand role age 25, which seemed very difficult with recruiters for some reason. And they wanted to keep me in insights, but oh, right. I, I got there in the end. Because they know uh, what they know and that's it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I got there in the end. So I, I did a, a brief stint at Heinz um, in, in a brand team and then um, went on to marketing roles at Krispy Kreme's um, and then Gourmet Burger Kitchen. Um, I was there for four, four and a half years. Um, and loved it. It's where I know Keith from, uh, where I know Al Murdoch, our CEO. Um, oh, right, was yeah. he there? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I joined, I joined BK in 2018, um, around the time of, um, the joint venture between Restaurant Brands International, who owned the, um, the brand effectively, um, and, and Bridgepoint in the UK. Um, and we have since then, you know, been working to, um, 
I guess, rebuild the brand position for, for Burger King in the UK. And I guess it's been a, you know, an amazing journey and a really unique opportunity, I guess, to have the keys of, um, or the keys to, uh, you know, globally recognized brand, a super iconic brand, um, and, and, you know, bring it back to, to relevance and, um, and reposition it in the UK. So that's, that's been, um, amazing. Um, so let's get into some of the questions because I'm conscious of your time. Um, so in terms of like basic kind of principles, so do you have any principles or approaches that you'd like to share about negotiating deals at a fairly kind of high level? Um, I think, I mean, I, I don't know that I have ever followed any strict principles. I guess some of them have been inherent and they've kind of gone with experience of what's worked and what's not worked. Um, uh, I guess it feels like an obvious point when I think about it, but I think any negotiation, any deal has to be mutually beneficial and, and both parties need to feel, um, need to be transparent around what they expect, what they want to get out of it and what good looks like. Um, and I think that as a starting point feels like, um, a good place to start. And I think that, that really means being transparent. Um, I, I'm sure some people would kind of keep their cards close to their chest. It depends on the deal, but, I think in my experience, that means really understanding what the other party needs, being very clear about what you need, um, and then working together to reach uh, a point that is, I guess, majority um, ticking the boxes across it, you know, that list of things that you you expect to get from it. Um, and you say, Kate, it's obvious, but actually, I don't think it is obvious, actually. Okay. Um, because I think... Um, Psychology, obviously, and our own personal our backgrounds and our mental models and our anxiety plays a massive role when we're negotiating. So if I'm coming to come and see you and negotiate a deal and I don't know you, I don't know who you are, then I'll, I might start very cautiously. If you reacted in a very similar way, because you're not sure who I am and you want to keep your cards kind of like, you know, close to your chest as well, we'll always get a suboptimal deal. Because yeah. we're fearful of opening up. Whereas actually, if we start off with a bit of relate, before we did the recording, we had a relate session for 15 minutes. Yeah. As in, we're relating to each other. Who are you? What do you do? What's your background? Some funny stories, people that we know. Um, what that And all the research bears this out is the research says, if you spend time relating before negotiating the substance, you'll get much better deals. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. I think, you know, some of the, the best deals or, or partnerships, I guess, that we have negotiated or, or agreed on have come from, um, you know, very much getting to know the team beforehand. And, and often we will, we will, you know, create deals with agencies who we've worked with for a long time. Um, I guess a really good example of that, we have recently launched a, a partnership with Doritos in the UK. Um, we developed a, um, a Walker flavored um, Doritos uh, with, with them, very much with them, very much involved in the process. Um, we've not worked with them before, um, but we have two mutual agencies, which is really interesting, which, you know, created a bit of a link um, uh, at the start. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't know that team at all, but we were very clear in that first meeting. Um, and thankfully they were too. We were very, very open around what we wanted to achieve, what good looked like, what we didn't want to do. Um, and it was quite interesting that both sides were very clear about, you know, what this isn't and what it is. And I think that made for, you know, a much more productive conversation in the first instance, but also um, a much more successful 
partnership. And, you know, it's still ongoing. We, we've got more to do on it. But, um, you know, it, it, we we very we were very open from the beginning and they were very comfortable with that as well. And I think that that's why, why it works so well. Definitely. Because again, uh, if you look at partnership deals in particular that negotiated, some negotiated a number of partnership deals in my past as well, what the ones that have worked that I'm thinking of are where you've got broadly aligned objectives. Yeah. And finding out if you're aligned or not right at the offset is really, really, really important. Again, sounds so obvious, but if it's not done and your objectives are, if you've got three objectives, two of them are aligned, one of them's massively out. Well, you either both agree that that's no longer an objective or you part ways. Yes, it's... Um... You can't shoehorn a deal into something that isn't going to work. But it's also having the bravery, I think, to part ways. Absolutely. I think if I think often, and it's it's certainly happened to me, you, you've opened the door and you think, right, we've got to see this through. And actually, <laughs> yeah. you might be better off at that early stage saying, look, I think too many of our objectives are actually misaligned and, and, you know, maybe it's better walking away from this and finding another partner. Yeah, or our styles don't work together. We've yes. got very different styles. Yeah, and that's hugely important as well. Uh, you know, that Let's really... talk about that a little bit. Just like kind of, again, not prepared because those are the best questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of style. How does style play into that kind of uh, partnership and negotiation? I, I mean, I think some of it, I, I, I can base it on, you know, some of our best partnerships, some of our best relationships with agencies, our best collaborations on projects have very much come from, you know, I'd say a big proportion of why that worked just because the style was similar. And that style in our case, you know, um, at BKUK, that style is, you know, we're, we are quite transparent. We're, we're quite open about our objectives. We are um, quite agile, quite flexible. We like to move quickly. Um, Your collaborators, as you said before, you want to collaborate internally. Certainly collaborators, yes, internally. You know, we don't work in silos. We, you know, we we involve the business, the wider business in, you know, be it a campaign development because it obviously touches so many different parts of the business. So try and involve, you know, without having a committee, we try and involve enough people when the idea or when the concept is, you know, I guess... Um, in the early stages of formation so that there were no surprises. Um, but I guess in a partnership that, you know, that is similar. Uh, it's a similar way of, of working. And I think our, you know, our most successful collaborations, our most successful partnerships have come from that, you know, that real openness, that involving the right people early on in the process, spotting some potential problems. Um, and, and that needs to happen on both sides. Um, but also a, you know, something... With with a recent partnership, you know there was a lot of legal complexity going on in the background, and um, that created a bit of delay. So um, during the the back end of the negotiations, yes, so there were obviously the marketing team and the brand teams wanted to run at pace, but you know there needed to be some legal, um, legal, yeah, and and the, the governance and that and that had to happen for it for it to work. But there was there was a big delay in that. It was taking a very long time. But I think that constant communication with the other team was: look, we are working on it. We're absolutely make we're we're, we're going to make this happen. But we need a bit more patience. We need to just wait a little bit longer. But um, we will be as open with you as we can as to why this is taking longer than it should. And we just made sure it didn't derail the the conversations. That that you know there was a, a huge amount of understanding on both sides as well, which is what you need. 
So that um, those multi-stakeholder um, negotiations, I've talked to a number of people about this, particularly with brand CMOs like yourself, where <clears throat> internally you have many stakeholders that you have to align around the deal. And that takes time. And some stakeholders will go at a um, what appears to be a slower pace, legal, for example. They're yeah. not being slow, they're being meticulous. Because once it's enshrined in contracts, they know they can't get out of it. <laughs> Keeping your internal stakeholders aligned and making sure that on the agency side, if it's an agency or if it's a partnership, that they know you're not ghosting them. There's a yeah. big thing at the moment about, <clears throat> am I being ghosted? It's like, no, you're not being ghosted. We're just taking our time and being diligent. Bear with us. Yeah. And and that, I think, you know, I, I very I noticed it on, on, on a recent partnership. It was that communication. It was just a check-in, you know, and, and often it was a WhatsApp. So from CMO, CMO saying, I'm on this, uh, you know, we, we both recognize this isn't ideal, but we are going to get there. And um, and actually, we, we celebrated when we did get there. You know, it was, you know, everyone had done their best to 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 get to that place, but it was tricky. Um, yeah, it's and, still a priority. That will happen with two massive brands working together. It's it's going to create, yeah. um, will be complexities. And, you know, and the bigger really, the brands that work that together, work happen. the more stakeholders you've got, the more alignment's required, the more risk there is. You know, I talk a lot in negotiations about, and I think, not all agencies understand at the beginning what this means, but managing the risk profile of the client is really important. The bigger the brand, if you as a, an agency are selling in a proposition, um, and as a brand, you've got legal and you've got finance and you've got procurement and you've got marketing and you've got operations and you've got all sorts. Um, it, everyone's got a different risk profile. So they may have convinced you, Katie, to do something because it's in your interest and the brand's interest. But then you've got legal and you've got you've got to make sure all their risk profiles are managed as well. And managing risk profiles in negotiations is really important. Yes. Particularly if you've got procurement people involved. I know um, you say that that's less formalized from the marketing point of view um, within your organization. But in a lot, you know, they are often front and center. And they have a different view of the world. As I know, I'm an ex-buyer. That's where I came from. Yes. So, yeah, yeah it, it is that kind of be collaborative, be open. And make sure that if it's taking time, people have check-in meetings. Yeah, and and that they know where they are exactly. Knowing where you are it reduces that feeling of exactly that being ghosted or is this slipping away and we don't know about it. And um, yeah, exactly that. So um, let's talk about um, mistakes because we learn most from our mistakes. I believe in life. Um, just headline, nothing, <laughs> nothing embarrassing, Katie. Nothing deep and dark. Just. Things that you've done in your career when you're negotiating, you in hindsight, you've gone, I learned from that and I'd do it differently next time. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, we were talking about this earlier on. I would definitely say I am the more emotive person in the room um, and anyone else would say that too, in, in a, within the organization. Um, and I think there are probably sometimes in trickier negotiations or deals where a degree of frustration or a degree of um, emotion comes through. But I think, you know, sometimes that can help. Um, the conversation, sometimes I guess I'd reflect on it and say, you know, could have been a bit more um, rational in that moment. Uh, but I think, I think some, one of the mistakes I would have made, I would say fairly early in my um, career, actually back when I was working at Krispy Kreme, um, 
we were really keen to get PR and really keen to, you know, we didn't have huge budgets. You know, we needed to try and get, um, get that visibility and get that PR. And I think there were times where I potentially undervalued our brand value. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. to get that PR. So we would end up putting a committing a huge amount of our time, our resource, um, less so investment, but you know, we would develop a new product. Um in one scenario, we developed a, a new product for a magazine. The magazine was very much hitting our target market. So yes, of course, I, you know, I wanted I wanted us to feature in there. I wanted us to, you know, provide product to an event they were they were they were having, but we we effectively developed a whole new product, and um, for a very yes, it had it, you know we got some visibility. It had an it, impact, yeah. It, you know, a little bit of impact, but a huge amount of work went into it. Um, both you know from a, a product development perspective, operationally, and um, and I think you know with hindsight, I think it's important to be really clear going into those types of meetings, just very clear on the value of the brand you are representing, the product you create, um, and actually, could can you get more? Can you get more in return? Um, I think I was slightly blindsided by meeting uh, the editor of this magazine. And, and yeah. you know, obviously, they had, they had huge worth, but they were very clear on the value of their publication. Um, and I think, you know, I learned a lot from that. How do I make sure that I am you know, representing my brand in in that same way and really conveying the value and the reach that we had. So a couple of things that are really interesting, kind of like just thoughts around uh, that uh, example. Um, I always think negotiations, it's a bit like, a, it is a, a bit like a kid's seesaw. You know, what you're looking for is balance. You know, if you've, if you've got an imbalance in that seesaw, um, and it's often perception, it's not reality, but if there's an imbalance, one one side's got far more power than the other. Mm-hmm. And that has a massively detrimental effect on the negotiation. Agreed. Yeah. And a way to counter that is um, preparation, what you just said then. Preparation, uh, being very uh, purposeful about what you're going in for, what your objectives are, what your interests are, you know, what your limits are. So working out your negotiation variables and where the upper end is and where the lower end is. Yeah. And also having a, I mean, interesting on that example, um, answer it or don't answer it, Katie, it's entirely up to you. Um, you don't have to give the specific, but did you feel like you had, so what we would call a batner, best alternative to a negotiated agreement? Did you feel like you could walk away and go, I've got other deals I can do. I don't have to do this deal. At that time, no, because I think I had been so excited by the opportunity. Now I was probably 20. 627, um, still in kind of early stages of a brand role. I think I was so excited by the opportunity, I'd almost sold it into the business before I had gotten at the negotiation. So I was, I had to come out of that meeting with with a, a done deal. Um, and and it's only with the benefit of hindsight you think we could have got so much more out of that. These days, I would be, you know, I, I would look at it differently. I mean, we had a, we were recently approached about a celebrity partnership, which on paper sounded incredible, sounded amazing. Um, But it became apparent pretty quickly that we'd be investing a huge amount of time and resource to deliver something to a a creative standard that we would expect, something that we would be proud of. Um, But that wasn't going to work both sides. Um, You know, they were presenting a celeb association, but there was no... Yeah, there wasn't a, a lot to back that up. There wasn't a lot of support 
there wasn't any clarity on what that would um, entail um, on their side. But there was an unbelievable confidence that they were going to get this over the line to the point that they approached our supply chain team without discussing with us to ask wow. volumes um, and ask for a commitment on volumes before we had agreed anything. Wow. So we very quickly made it very clear that, you know, that... <laughs> In a very happen. polite way. <laughs> it just can't happen like that. Yeah. Um, and, and it could have been special, it could have been great, but it's just one of those things that actually you go, you can very easily be blindsided by something, but you really need to be clear about what, you know, what value is your brand um, bringing to the table and what do you want to get from it? And celeb or no celeb, I mean, um, there, there has to be more substance to it and, and that has to meet your expectation. And you've got to have options. You have to have alternatives. And, and a willingness to walk away, which we, right. we had, yeah. Definitely. It creates a very different conversation. Yes, absolutely. So um, another, uh, just like in, in the kind of the preamble that we had before um, uh, around the prep, do you have any examples of uh, kind of negotiations where your counterparties focused on their own kind of demands and needs, but not really opened up about their true interests or motivations? And how important is that? Um, you know, the table yeah. thumper. Yes. <laughs> I want this, yeah. I want that, I need that. Yeah, I mean, less table thumping, but but yes, we have definitely had a situation where, you know, actually the the, the counterparty presented a quite a negative scenario up front, but um, I guess neg- negative to us, but, you know, very, you know, they were very clear on what they wanted out of this, why they wanted it, you know, the, the whole presentation entailed um, or detailed their reasons for, you know, pushing for this, which, you know, I'm sure were, were um, very valid to them, but with absolutely no consideration given to the impact this might have on, on us. Um, or, you know, yes, there were potential solutions, but they were starting from a worst case scenario and how we we could deliver a better case rather than how they could work with us to deliver a better case on scenario. And, and it was, it started quite a negative conversation from the beginning. And it was very hard, I think, to come back from that. So therefore, the whole... It, it, it has it massively protracted the the negotiation. It, it just required a lot of a huge amount of discussion, many 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 meetings to unpick. Okay, what what is it that you really need? What is it that we really need? How can we, you know, mediate this discussion to remove some of the frustration and emotion that is there because of how it started? And you know, I think there were very clear preconceptions from the other party that they held the balance of power. Um, and that we needed, um, we needed this deal, and therefore, um, you know, they, they. I think that just created further tension right from the start. Uh, it didn't feel very collaborative, um, nor very productive at at the start. And I think you know that conversation could have started very, very differently, and could have avoided all of that, um, and probably could have got the same result, but saved heaps of countless, people's- countless hours. Yes. Of people's time and resources when they could have been better spent doing other things. Yes. Creating more value. And it also started, I think, as a one-on-one conversation, yeah. not a formal, let's get everyone in the room in this kind of formal Oh, that's quite interesting. Position. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about that for just for a second. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
I, many, many years ago, I was ex-KPMG, brilliant, brilliant organization to work for. Um, I learned so much. Um, and one of the things that they taught us when we were selling professional services was um, at the beginning, at the outset of any kind of negotiation partnership deal, um, you need to have a one-on-one at the most senior level you can yeah. as a peer-to-peer discussion. Because imagine if 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 we were negotiating a deal and I brought six people and you brought eight people and we're all sat round and it's a little bit tense anyway, you know, as a topic, no one no one's gonna actually open up. No one's gonna be really honest and open about how they feel. Whereas a CMO to CMO conversation for half an hour before anything gets done about how do you feel about this? What are your real interests? Yes, you've got stated objectives. What are you trying to achieve here? And what kind of style do you operate in? How do you, how does your brand style work internally? And how does ours work? It can save an awful lot of angst. Yes. And no one's blindsided. No one is, you don't get the reactions, the, um, uh, but it, I feel that's the same internally. You know, we, we often will, will, you know, work on projects where we need to influence internal stakeholders. Um, to get everyone on board and and um, and comfortable that you know this is something that we're bought into, something that they want to support, um, and that is probably not something I would bring to a you know a weekly exec meeting and present from scratch. I would absolutely have had a chat with our CEO or COO or whoever I needed to speak to or property director ahead of landing this. Um, to to get some perspectives, get some perspective, you know, where where's your head on this? Does that feel right? So that actually you can address some of the uh, potential pushbacks up front. Um, because we won't always see them, we won't always consider them, but the the other stakeholders will give us a different perspective. And I think that's um, I mean, that is relatively easy to do in this organization. Therefore, there should be no need for for blind riding. Um, but where I've seen it where I've seen it happen is in those scenarios where actually, and it tends to happen where the relationship isn't that strong to start with. Exactly. Um, whereas it rarely happens with, with agencies or suppliers or partners where, you know, there is a good open relationship established. You know, there, you know, it's it's much... Yes, they pick up the phone. They call yes. you. Yeah. Say there's an issue, we need to have a chat yeah. before we have a group discussion. Be aware this is going to be said. This is where it's come from. We're not trying to do anything untoward, but we need to address this topic. What do you think, Katie? That kind of chat yeah. is critical. It's so important. It's so important. But it, it makes for, yes, it makes for a very different outcome and, and a much more positive process and a much more positive um, discussion. And even if you end up getting to the same result, everyone feels more comfortable and happier through the process. So you don't walk away feeling, okay, that that didn't go quite as well as expected for us. Um, yeah, um, and it removes that tension. And I think that's where, you know, uh, I guess that's an example where, you know, we, I, I definitely think it could have been handled differently. So conscious of your time, um, lessons. Just in summary, two or three things. If you were talking to a fellow CMO or an agency, over a, a, a cup of coffee or a, or a dinner about what are your top two or three lessons learned about negotiating deals? What would they be? I, I you know, I'm, I'm repeating really, but I think for me, the, the main thing is be 
very, be very clear yourself and with your team internally about what you want to get out of it, what you want to achieve, what good looks like, so that you are going into any discussion with clarity and that all of the, the, the key stakeholders are in that same place. Um, so I think establishing your own, um, your starting position, your upper limit, um, is, is really important. I think then in that discussion or in that negotiation or deal, it's being very open and transparent with your, with the counterparty around, you know, what it is you're trying to achieve and trying to get that level of openness from them as well. And um, so that you can get to a place where, where everyone is happy. No one feels done over or hard done by. And I think it's important to keep revisiting that, you know, especially if this is a, a partnership that you're working on you know, often it can take months. Um, I think it's important to keep checking in on that. Are we still, are we still comfortable with those objectives? Has anything changed? You know, it doesn't have to be a formal review, but I think it can be a, a sense check um, with the right people in the team to make sure that we're still on track and we're still happy. I think, you know, I think it's really important to involve multiple personalities or multiple, you know, stakeholders in the business who will bring something different to the table, who will look at it differently and bring a different perspective. I think that's important. Um, and, you know, when things get tricky, those same people can help you and support you in cutting it a different way, looking at it a different way so that actually, if it's not going to plan, helping you to try and find some solutions to that. And I also think, you know, as long as the majority of expectations on both sides are being met, it's okay for there to be a degree of compromise. As long as, you know, as long as you still feel comfortable that there is enough, um, you know, enough being achieved, enough of your expectations are being met. A bit of compromise is, is good and healthy, I think, on, on both sides. Um, obviously, it can depend on the deal and depend on the, the relationship itself, but certainly in brand partnerships, you know, it is not black and white. There are, you know, there are ways to um, to work around challenges and work and, and, you know, find solutions that are mutually beneficial. Um, I think the final thing for me is that there has to be trust. I think the minute there isn't trust between the two sides, then you have a problem. And that actually something we spoke about at the, at the start is also being comfortable to walk away. Um, if you can walk away, but being comfortable if, you know, if it starts to look like a very different deal or a very different um, end result that doesn't meet with what you're looking for, I think you have to upfront say, maybe this isn't for us. Uh, and sometimes that requires a bit of bravery and confidence and, and probably a bit of support from you know, other stakeholders or colleagues um, to to look at it, even if you are convinced, you know, this is what we want to do. If it's not looking like the same, the same deal, the same um, result and result, then you might need to consider walking away. But I, th- I think trust is critical. And, and what comes with trust is, you know, having a, a, you know, a relationship where you are discussing, you know, what it is you want to get from it and, um, you know, keeping open through the process. Katie, it's been amazing. Thank you been fun, thinking great insights, and you've illustrated with some great examples. Um, where can people find out more about you and your brand? Oh, well, Burger King talks about our UK. <laughs> <laughs> go and buy some burgers. <laughs> yeah, go to Burger King and have a Whopper. Um, if you haven't had them in a while, definitely go to Burger exactly. King and have a Whopper. Um, but yeah, um, that's, you know, that's where we are. Download the BK app is also a good thing to do. Um, Very good. Katie, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. 
please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.